Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the show's fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com. This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome, 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 Mary Goulet. How are you, my friend? Good. Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? Yeah, doing great. Good, good. Super excited today because we are hanging out with the one and the only JLD himself, Johnny Lou Dumars. What's up, Senor? How you doing, man? And actually, I can call you Senor now that you live in Puerto Rico, right? Now that I live in Puerto Rico, I can say, <laughs> live in la vida loca, <laughs> life is good on the Isle of Day Encanta, Puerto nice. Rico. Yeah, man, you uh, you have always been a trendsetter and clear. Clearly, you are a trendsetter in terms of Puerto Rico, man. I cannot stop my friends from moving to Puerto Rico. So what, when are you going to move back to San Diego and start the trend back here? Never. Never. Because, Steve, I like to keep the money that I make. Ah, and there's... that's why I moved to Puerto Rico in 2016. I stopped paying the ridiculous taxes that stupid state uh, charges. Yeah. And I play a, a flat 4% tax rate. Life is good. Life is good. All right, so we'll uh, we'll keep the conversation uh, casual <laughs> here today, man. No, it's good. No, we want it. We definitely want it. I mean, that's that's what we want to do, man. Is just just get beyond the microphone here and keep things real casual with you. So let me just let me just start by saying, uh, you know, first of all, in 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 a lot of your interviews, you your story kind of starts with you're working in commercial real estate and you know driving from point A to point B, and then you're like why isn't there a daily podcast that you enjoy listening to? So I actually want to, I want to start before that, if we can, man, G- give us, give us more of an understanding of what life was like for you as, as a kid. And, and more specifically, what, what do you remember learning from your parents? Great stuff. So I grew up in a very small town in Maine. We're talking 2000 people. My dad was the, the small town lawyer, you know, kind of like the Atticus Finch type from To Kill a Mockingbird. And it was just me growing up in this area where I just would put my bike helmet on, uh, bike a quarter mile down the street to the Alfred Park, which was the town park. And I just play basketball and baseball and hang out with my friends. And, you know, went to an incredibly small elementary school with like 30 other kids in my grade and then a pretty small high school, you know, with just a couple hundred people in my class. And it was like a very, very small town, small time environment. But the reality was, is that, my dad did instill some pretty important things in me as like a businessman, as an entrepreneur. He was a lawyer who hung his own shingle. So he was essentially working for himself, by himself for about the past 35 years. And I just loved immediately seeing how I could be like, dad, it's 3 p.m. I'm, I'm done with school. Can you come and hit ground balls to me? And he's like, all right, let me move a couple of things around and I'll be right there. And he would do that three, four, five days a week. Like he mm. never missed a game. He worked super hard, but on his own schedule. And I saw that and I understood the value of what it meant to be an entrepreneur, a businessman or a businesswoman who was running their own schedules. And I loved that. And another thing that he really brought to me uh, early on too, which I've since showed um, with our monthly income reports that we publish every single month, you know, the details, all of our revenue and expenses and all that jazz 
was he was always open a book when it came to money. Like I, I hear so many stories of, of parents just being so closed with finances, never talking about it, you know, just being like really stressed out about money and all that stuff. It's not that like he wasn't like focused on it and there wasn't some worries there sometimes, but he was an open book. He's like, hey, look, look, at this is our bank account. This is how much it costs to to you know, light the house. This is how much it costs to heat the house. This is how much it costs to. So I just got it growing up of like you needed to make money because there was expenses. Whereas like ninety seven percent, and this is a made up percentage, but it's a ridiculous percentage of people graduate high school knowing trigonometry but not knowing how to balance a checkbook. Like it's yeah. pathetic and it's disgusting, but it's true. But like I got those skills growing up in a very small town in Maine. Did he um, did he draw the line, though, in terms of what the annual income was like a lot of parents might show you, hey, here's the light bill and here's, you know, what the mortgage is or these sort of things. If they have, you know, those sort of bills, did he actually show you in the same way that you share in, in such a transparent manner, you know, what you guys are doing with Entrepreneur on Fire and all of the related entities to you know that you got going on there did your dad actually show you what they were making on an annual or monthly basis everything too? Really? he would show me this bank is accounts? how much money we made bank accounts really? this is our fidelity investment account this is how much money we lost today because the stock market went down this is why i had to, to let one of our secretaries go because you know the business had a slow year and we can't afford two secretaries anymore so like he was just open across the board, making things happen. And that was just like super eye-opening to me. Yeah. And so um so you were so you were in the military and officer for eight years, sir. Yeah, man. And, and thank so, you for your service. Right? I uh, appreciate that appreciation. So why 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 did you decide to enlist and, and what was the hardest part of that experience? So talking to a civilian, I'll just kind of share really quickly that I didn't enlist. That's okay. what um, you would do if you were going to enter directly out of high school as like a private, so to speak. Um, you become an enlisted soldier. I decided that I wanted to go to college, but guess what? My dad wasn't going to pay for college at a private school because it was a waste of money. And when I could just go to the state school for 2500 bucks a year in Maine, which of course makes total sense because it was a great school. So if I wanted to go to my dream school, which was Providence College in Rhode Island, the private Catholic school that cost $50,000 a year, I was either going to have to go into massive debt or, or I was going to have to get a scholarship. So I went down the Army ROTC scholarship route, got accepted um, by the U.S. military. And so they paid for all of my tuition, all of my housing, all of my books. Plus, here's the beautiful thing. man. <laughs> Picture this. I got paid $75 a week nice. while I was a college student, which of course people would be like, 75 bucks a week, like that's my morning breakfast. But you know what? That was all the money in the world to a college freshman, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, man. So it was everything that I needed. I, had, I graduated with no college debt on the ROTC scholarship and I spent the next eight years as an officer in the U.S. Army, got, getting out as a captain back in 2010. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, Mary, did you have a, a question as well? I, just, I don't want to, I, I could totally take JLD's entire time here, but I want to make sure I keep it over to you guys for sure. No, it's not a question. It's, well, maybe it turns into one. So, with your father giving you that transparency around finances, and it's kind of the osmosis that drips in and, and you form an awareness about it going into your adulthood. And then you go into the military with such discipline and structure. How have those two, or how much do those two elements made you successful with Entrepreneur on Fire and your business? 
they both played a massive role. Like when you say the word discipline, it was something I did not have going into college. It was something I had to implement during college, not because of college per se, but because being a ROTC cadet, there's a lot of things you need to be doing this military like that started to instill a little bit of discipline into me. But then when I actually became an officer in the US Army and then was sent to Iraq for 13 months to be a platoon leader, um, in charge of four tanks and 16 men for 13 months in Iraq during a war, it was like, if you're not going to be disciplined and focused during that time frame, you're either going to die or you're going to be responsible for some other people potentially dying and losing their lives or getting severely injured. So mm -hmm. that was when it was just like, okay, time to grow up at 23 years old. This is real deal, Holyfield stuff. And I just became disciplined. And what, what did my like captain commanding officer at the time kind of break this down for me as well disciplined is being a disciple mm. to a plan of action. So create a plan of action and then be a disciple to execute that plan. And by the way, a good plan now is better than a great plan later. And that's really one thing that the army taught me was, listen, you're not going to come up with this general patent, amazing plan right now. So just do a, the best you can do right now and then execute upon that. Because if you wait to come up with that perfect plan, the bullets are flying, the bombs are dropping. You might not live to execute that perfect plan. So make it happen. And I just always use that mentality in entrepreneurship. A lot of people are just like, I need to wait till my website's ready, my social media is ready, and all this stuff is like perfect. And then guess what? They wait, they wait, they wait, and it's never perfect. And then they launch, but then they wasted all this time because guess what? When you launch your podcast, when you launch your social media channel, when you launch your YouTube, nobody listens, nobody mm -hmm. cares because they don't know about you yet. It takes time to build all these things. So I was just this, let's just jump and then let's, you know, the parachute open as I come down and figure things out. And that was directly a result of my time in the military. Perfect lead into the question I was going to ask you of when you then were getting out and I know there was a little bit of a transition, but when you were getting into podcasting itself, were you a fan of podcasts and you had like, this is going on and I like what these people are doing, but I'm going to make this minimum viable plan and do this? Or did you just jump in and take it on as it came? I was a massive fan of podcasting. And I think that's one of the big reasons for my success because I loved the medium. I understood the medium. I could honestly see that the medium was going to explode because I was thinking, how can't it? I mean, this is free, on-demand, targeted content. Like I was a real estate agent at the time in San Diego and I'm driving down the road, you know, being forced to listen to local radio. And I don't care about the San Diego chargers. Like I don't care about, you know, a lot that was going on in the political world. I didn't want to hear Miley Cyrus 15 times in an hour. Like those things didn't interest me. But then I found podcasts and I was like, oh my God, like I can literally choose to listen to what I want, when I want. And then when I get home, I can press pause and pick it up the next morning and it's all free. Like, how is this even possible? Then I was like, holy crap, like I need to be involved in this. It's like, you know, you hear some of those older moves where people are like, plastics, it's the future. And you're like, well, it's obviously you can see now, like in hindsight, the plastics were going to be the future. Not that they're great for the environment, they're terrible, but it's obvious that they were going to be amazing, you know, for all the things that they do in today's world back then. But like, so when people couldn't see that coming, I could just like see that podcasting was going to be taking hold for all those reasons I just shared. It's storytelling ability. It's 
uh, ability to capture subscribers and to capture just like the attention of people in a very focused way. Like when people are working out, when they're running, when they're in the car driving, when they're folding laundry, when they're walking their dog, like these are very captive moments where people are doing other things, but they're not really, you know, they're, they're multitasking, but like they can really be giving a ton of bandwidth to that spoken word. And I just got it and I loved it. So for two years, I just consumed podcasts every single day. I would always have them going on in the background as I was doing X, Y, or Z. And then at one point, the light bulb just went on and I said, A, I can do this. And B, there's a huge void that's not being fit right, that's not being met right now in the podcasting space. And that's the daily podcast of successfully inter interviewing successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea came. Yeah. And, and I don't want to gloss over this. And, and I, I like when we move forward with the interviews, but I, I want to make sure that people understand the, uh, the extent of, of actually what happened for you in Iraq before we move forward. I just want to close the loop on that because um, I think it's important for people to know that you, you lost some men there, no? Yeah, so I was a platoon leader of 16 men in four tanks. So 23-year-old second lieutenant, um, officer in the U.S. Army, and we deploy again with 16 men, four men per tank, four tanks. And I'm the tank commander. So I'm on one of the tanks and I'm in charge of all four of them. And I remember so clearly when we were at Fort Riley, Kansas, about to deploy, you know, we have like our deployment ceremony. I know, and I'm literally like hugging and shaking the hands of husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, kids, you know, and looking them in the eye and being like, you know, I'm bringing your loved one home. Like that was my job as the officer, as the platoon leader of that platoon. And of course I meant it. And of course I was naive about a lot of things, never having been in war before. But over the course of that 13 months, we lost four of the 16 soldiers. Um, you know, they gave that ultimate sacrifice. And, yeah. you know, I had to write those letters. Like I had to be the person informing them um, that their loved ones would never return. And, you know, one of the most heartbreaking ones that, you know, obviously I think about on a daily basis is, you know, my platoon sergeant had a daughter while he was deployed and he had a picture of her, but he never got to hold her. He never got to see her. And to me, it was so tragic and it was so sad and it was just so overwhelming at the time. You just have to kind of push through, but kind of a point I'll make from that is you know, for me now, it's just so simple to get in perspective in life when like a recording gets, you know, warped or a sponsor drops off or this happens that's crappy or power goes out, you know, while I'm interviewing Tony Robbins or whatever might happen. Like I can put things in perspective and be like, you're not getting shot at, like you're not in danger, like you're not, you know, like literally in war right now. Like things could be so much worse. So although this isn't ideal and I'm not going to be pretend that I'm happy about it, I'm at least going to put things in perspective. So it's not going to ruin my overall perspective of this event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the rest of that, man. How, how do you define success? You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of different definitions out there. One of my favorites is success means having <laughs> the courage, the determination, the will to become the person you were meant to be. You've had a lot of success, and maybe how you defined it five, ten years ago is very different from how you would define it now. How how would you define success when you first started down this entrepreneurial path versus how you define it now? 
I mean, if I'm going back to think about how I would define success like seven years ago when I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, you know, it probably would have been that I could um, pay my bills doing something I enjoyed doing, which was Entrepreneurs on Fire, which was interviewing people and, and growing a brand of the business and a podcast, not really knowing what my path to paying those bills was going to look like because, you know, I was still about a year out from generating any revenue with the podcast and with the overall business. But that would have been what I would have probably define success as, but, you know, looking back now, having, you know, generated over $16 million in the past seven years and having entrepreneurs on fire, um, netting over a million dollars a year in revenue, getting to keep almost all of that living in Puerto Rico, paying a flat 4% tax rate, yada, yada, yada. Like I now define success is really one word, which is freedom because now my success has really given me freedom. And the freedom that it's given me is location freedom. I chose to live in Puerto Rico and I want to live here and I am able to live here. It gives me uh, lifestyle freedom. You know, I work really, really hard some days and I work almost not at all other days. Like I'm able to really structure my schedule and create the my boundaries that I want to create. Kate and I went on a 90 day world trek um, back um, in, from August till November where we went to Fiji where I spent uh, four days with Tony Robbins at his resort in Namali with just nine other people. Then we did the other like basically 80, 85 days in Europe, just spending a week in the Airbnb in all these different countries and cities. And it was unbelievable and gorgeous. And, you know, we didn't not work during that time. We were putting in about an hour to an hour and a half a day, you know, doing emails and social media and all of these things, but it's around a business that we built and a business that we enjoyed. So it's still our choice to continue to want to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And that really is what I would kind of define success at this point is, is the freedom to do all of those things, the location, freedom, the lifestyle, freedom, the financial freedom. Yeah, man. So let, let's, let's talk for a second about want versus need. And it, I mean, it really does seem like, you know, you, you, have everything that you want and you probably have everything that you need first of all do you have everything that you want and everything that you need and if so how how do you stay fired up when when you don't want more and you don't need more well i think if you were to be technical on like maslow's hierarchy of needs i probably have all that i need you know, I mean, we have our dream home down here in Puerto Rico. We're able to do what we want to do and like all those different things. We have shelter, we have food, we have comfort, we have all that. But as far as like, you know, like what I want, like I still have this desire to have a big impact in this world. And I really would love to be able to, you know, see that there's earthquakes, you know, happening here in Puerto Rico, which there are. And just be able to go and swoop in and like write a $10 million check mm -hmm. and just say, let's just take care of the situation now. Or like identify another issue in Africa or in, you know, Thailand or in the United States and like go and like just completely make a huge impact there. And like, am I there financially now? Like, no. And like, will I ever be there? Maybe not. But, you know, that's something that I would love to achieve and to attain at some point is just to be able to have that kind of financial um, influence where I really could um, make a massive impact to a, a to, to a cause that I really believe in and, and would want to make a difference in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Richie, did you have anything I could, again, I don't want to hog the mic here. No, I was just going to kind of go back to the initial start with, with podcasting and you were a fan. You, 
it was obvious that you didn't really want to um, model after what someone else was doing. I noticed, by the way, you structured your questions that, that unlike some people, your answers or, or the answers that came back to you would always be different, right? Where some people could always have universal answers like, yes, uh, I believe in working out every day. Um, <laughs> so what do you think for people who want a podcast now, do you think that there's a, a, a format that people should be following or do you think it's still wide open as far as you could just create any new type of a format? So going back to the first part of what you were sharing is I really believe that Entrepreneurs on Fire was successful because I focus on the story. And you know, a lot of people would say, well, doesn't your podcast get boring because you just ask the same six questions every time? But I'm like, you're completely missing everything, which is the question is, tell me your biggest entrepreneurial failure. And how are you ever going to get the same answer to that from anybody? I mean, everybody has an unbelievable story of their failure that's 100% unique to that individual. And so that's where story really comes in. I'm a big believer in story. Like there's a reason why history is his story. Like it's all about the stories that we, you know, just grew up. That's how we used to pass along um, history as, you know, before you could write things down and before you could store things on a computer. It was like, it was by the spoken word. And that's why, you know, when you hear the phrase, like once upon a time, like you kind of lean in because you want to hear that history, like what happened back then, like people really resonate in, with that. And so kind of moving forward into the second part of your question is, I think it still is wide open, but you've got to do it in a way that is really um, creating massive solutions to real people's problems. So if you're going to launch a podcast in 2020, it's an amazing time for it. There's more listeners now for podcasts than there ever has been. Like people are like, John, it was like so easy for you back in 2012. But I'm like, but nobody listened to podcasts back in 2012. Like I was a weirdo for listening to podcasts. It was hard. It was like techie. Like you couldn't, you couldn't be like Alexa play podcasts. Like, and it wasn't in the car dashboard. It wasn't in this, it wasn't in that. Like you literally had to kind of be a little bit of a techie person to figure out how to make it happen. And there wasn't that many listeners. And now the listenership has exploded and it's everywhere. And companies like Pandora and Spotify and iHeartRadio and these other companies have all like gone all in on this, on this medium and are doing amazing things to, to kind of spread the word. So now you have this much bigger potential audience. But with that, I think you've got to be very specific and very structured of, hey, I am going to solve one person's problem at a very high level. So what was the problem that I saw back in 2012 that was pretty broad, but by the way, that was back in 2012. So you could be a little more broad back then and still win because the competition was so much lower and so much less saturated. But I was solving the problem of that person like myself that was driving to work every day, that was working out multiple days per week, that loved the podcast, but wasn't getting enough. Didn't want to wait a whole week for the next episode to come out when they just listened to a 25 minute episode. So that every single day was right there for people. It was the right solution to a real problem. So what is your podcast going to provide as a real solution to a real problem? And just interviewing successful entrepreneurs, you're not solving a problem that's not being solved by hundreds if not thousands of other people. So you may have some level of success, but they could just go to any others and what's keeping them listening to yours and all these different things. So 
that's where the focus has to be in 2020 and beyond when it comes to podcasting is, mm -hmm. are you going to be able to be best in show? And for me, it's like, I want to solve a real problem for real listeners. And if I can't be the best at this level, then I've got to go one niche down. And if I can be the best at this level, then I'm going to stay here until I've got momentum to then potentially move back up to that next level. And for some people, I might be going three levels down. And that's fine because you sometimes do have to niche till it hurts, but you've got to find that place where you're solving a real problem at the best level of your competitors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really good point. And it, it plays a little bit into the, the question around discoverability as well. And I mean, reality is because you've been at this now for some time, you, you, you well, smartly so, you received the benefits of uh, of getting into podcasting early and, and, and really have been able to benefit from what I would call the ascending spiral, which is as new listeners come into the podcast mix, they see the shows that are in the rankings, see the shows that are on the charts. They say, mm, that's an interesting show. Let me check that out. So they start listening, they start subscribing, they start downloading, they start rating, they start reviewing. And then, of course, that helps those shows that are already popular stay popular and ascend in that spiral, which makes it really, really hard for most mere mortals starting a show to break into that unless you're really uh, driving listeners from other existing platforms. So, so to that end, how, how do you think new shows get discovered? And we know 300,000 shows were launched just in 2019. Those numbers continue to grow. How do those shows get discovered and ultimately survive? Well, you do what I just shared, which I won't go into super yeah. detail again, but yeah. you do really be focused on not just being this broad, vague show, but really being a niched specific show that you're willing to serve a really diverse audience. And I kind of like the idea too of like combining two niches, like say like you just became a vegan and you're like, well, what is like something that vegans really struggle with? Well, what's the right, you know, ways to, to exercise now that you're not having any kind of meat in your life? Well, what if like yoga was a great way to exercise if you're a vegan? Well, what if you create now a podcast combining the two niches of the vegan yogi? Like now mm -hmm. everybody who's a vegan or everybody likes yoga and like, there's like this crossover, crossover here. So now you can be like this solution mm -hmm. to two niches, serious problems, which is, you know, I'm, you know, I love yoga, but I'm a vegan or I love vegan when I do for exercise. And you're able to solve that problem at a very compact level. So just now, reading between the lines, is that because of search? Are you saying if people are going and then they're searching for like almost like SEO is for websites, right? I mean, if they're going and they're, they're throwing these search terms into the box. Is that is that how new podcasters potentially should be thinking about it? And even how new listeners are trying to find shows? Yeah, keyword searching is really big for the reasons of actually searching for podcasts and then finding the shows that you want and actually having a show title that is promising the solution to the problem that people have, which is why they're looking for that content, is going to get you to press play a lot more than just having like the John Lee Duma show. Like, mm -hmm. okay, what is a John Lee Duma show? Well, I don't know. Like people get the Tim Ferriss show because they've been obsessed with Tim Ferriss for now 11 years, ever since he launched, you know, the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. Like that's why that show worked, but like launching the John Lee Duma show in 2012 wouldn't have worked, but launching entrepreneurs on fire, promising daily interviews with successful entrepreneurs that are on fire 
that worked because that's what people were looking for. They're looking for other entrepreneurs, their stories, their interviews. And that's why shows that have very clear um, solutions to people's problems in the title and the name get discoverability. Also, just like when you're scanning, you like you mentioned, like people go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and they're looking in the top rankings and a, a show title will catch their eye. And if that show title promises the solution they're looking for, they're much more likely going to go in. Now, I will give an additional practical piece of advice on top of all of this is so many people say, John, I've launched my show. I've launched my podcast. How do I grow my listenership? And I look at them and I say, well, how many times, how many times have you been a guest on other relevant category specific podcasts over the past three months? And they'll be like, well, I don't have time. Like I've been on like one or two, but I mean, like I'm focusing so much on my own show. And it's like, listen, podcast listeners listen to podcasts. And the average podcast listener listens to seven podcasts. So you need to spend your time. And that's per going week. to seven per week. And that's per week. So yeah. you need to spend your time going to a place like Apple Podcasts. Let's say you have a, a, a fitness podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, click on the health category, look at the top 200 podcasts that are there. And then you need to be contacting the hosts of those shows with a very specific call to action that's saying something along the lines of, hey, Sean, I see you have a great podcast called The Model Health Show. Um, the last 10 episodes, mm -hmm. you rocked it. They were about X, Y, and Z. I have a fitness podcast. I, I specialize in this topic that you haven't covered in a while. I would love to come on your show and share this specific topic that you haven't covered in a, in a long time with your audience. Here's a proposed title. Here's a couple of proposed bullet points. I'd love to be on your show. And oh, by the way, Sean, I'm a podcast host as well. So number one, it might make sense for you to come on my show to share your genius with my audience. And oh, number two, I'm a podcast host. So it make, so I understand the importance of that when my show goes live on your, on your, on your podcast, I'm going to promote the crap out of it to my entire audience because I want as many people to listen to it as possible. Like you make 50 of those pitches, mm -hmm. that will be the best pitches any of those hosts have ever received. And you're going to be able to now line up a guest spot on all of these podcasts that have listeners, a built-in audience that already have a podcast app, that already listen to podcasts. It's already part of their life. You're converting the converted already, which is amazing. And then your call to action at the end of that show is, by the way, I hope you keep listening to the Model Health Show because Sean's awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to become one of your seven though. So if you want to check out the Healthy Health Fit Show that I just launched, you know this, this is where you should check it out. I have some great podcast episodes there come listen. And now you're there delivering value, having the spotlight on you for the episode and being able to give a call to action for people to listen to your show. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, that it's really cool how it seems like podcasters and YouTubers understand, maybe it's because, uh, more podcasters than YouTubers, but they understand, um, trying to teach people about this new medium that was was new and so for lack of a better word it's it's kind of incestuous they understand mm -hmm. the collaboration they really want to help each other out unlike some industries where it's like i'm not gonna go on that other one they're gonna steal my market mm -hmm. or steal my market share it seems like podcasters really enjoy and and, mm -hmm. and are very supportive of other podcasters yeah i call it co-mingling your audiences and i think that's the way to look at it is like, listen, like there are going to be people that are going to listen to an average of seven podcasts every single week. So 
you know, let's just be one of those seven. Like, let's help each other out. We have similar audiences. Let's make sure your audience knows about me. My audience knows about you. Um, and let's commingle the, these audiences and all ships will rise in that high tide. Mm -hmm. At some, at some point here though, do you think podcasting peaks? Do we, I mean, won't too many of us have shows and, and, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, not everyone should have a podcast. Yeah. All of that is true. I mean, all good things come to an end. I'm a huge believer in the phrase, this too shall pass. Like when things are going great, you got to look in the mirror and say, this too shall pass. When things are going horrible, look in the mirror and see the exact same thing because it's true. Like podcasting is obviously going to, at some point, you know, become out of vogue, just like everything ever, mm -hmm. you know, period, end of story. When? I don't know. Like, it's just you know, gonna, I mean, don't you think it's just going to transition into the next thing that we didn't see before podcasting came about? Yes. You know, maybe, I mean, with technology and innovation and everything that's going on, I don't think it's, I think you can parlay your audience into that new thing. Hopefully. Is, yes. Yeah, like a lot of people have successfully, like with Snapchat, you know, they were like on Snapchat for a couple of years and then Insta Instagram stories came out and kind of copied everything Snapchat was doing. A lot of people were just having more success on Instagram stories. So they're just like, hey, if you're watching me on Snapchat, like this is my last snap, like get over and follow me on Instagram because that's where I'm putting all my time, energy, and effort into. And the meaningful audience followed them. And, you know, those that didn't, they weren't worth anything anyways. How much of some of these other projects you've done, like your journal and doing the affiliate marketing and sponsorships, how much of that was just you thinking this is where you should go meets percentage of listening to your audience and what they were asking for? None of it was me thinking this is where I should go. Like the biggest mistake people make is they're like, John, you come up with all of these multi-million dollar ideas because they have all these multi-million dollar products and services. I didn't come up with any of them. I always, always ask my audience these four questions. First off, where'd you hear about me? Because I want to know all the time where people heard about me, where they listened to me. I, I mean, I'm hoping some people, when I'm asking them in the next month, will be like, I heard about you on, re, you know, on re, uh, Reinvention Radio, like blah, blah, blah. Like, this is why I'm doing these things and like, and having fun and hanging out with Steve, you know, who I've been friends with for years and years. In fact, I have a really old school story. You know, I could tell, I could tell a little bit about that if we have time. Sure. But, you know, that's just the example of like, I always want to know where people are hearing about me and my podcast so I can amplify those areas. Number two, I ask them, you know, what do you like most about my show so I can really implement those things to a next level? And what do you like least about my show? And when one person says one thing, I ignore it. But if I hear 10 people say the same thing, maybe I, I take a little stock in that and change some things up. And then number four, what is your biggest struggle and obstacle right now? And they share it. And by them sharing those obstacles and struggles, they're giving me the ideas that I've turned into multi-million dollar ideas mm -hmm. like Podcasters Paradise, mm -hmm. the Freedom Journal, the Mastery Journal, the Podcast mm -hmm. Journal, the 100-Day Goal Journal, like books that I've written, courses I've created, communities that I've made, like all these things has all come from me creating a solution to the problem that my actual listeners are telling me they currently have. Yeah. Wade, I think you've been jumping out of your chair back there. What's up? Well, I just wanted to build on that, but a quick flashback. You're talking about the old days. Back in 2006, seven, we're doing eBay radio, mm -hmm. and people are downloading that on their 56K modem and burning it to a CD so they could play that in their car <laughs> as they're driving to work. So, you know, talk well, about... Thanks the, for sharing the story. Yeah, yeah. the ways people do that. <laughs> but the follow-up question is, if... Fundamentally, what we're doing is building relationships with communities. 
you know, that I, I believe is a new business model. How are you using additional social media platforms to build your community and support the podcast? So that's a great question. And one really tactical answer I'll give here is right now there are Facebook groups on everything galore and they're free and they're public and they're thriving and people are in there engaging every single day. So what I tell people is a great, great strategy is find one or two um, Facebook groups, or if you're more corporate, maybe a LinkedIn group will be more for you. And you find a couple of these groups that are free and that are, are thriving that are chock full of your perfect listener. So like a real random example would be like, if you're a realtor in Southern California, find a couple thriving public free um, Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups that are talking about real estate in Southern California, like get real specific there. And there, believe me, there's plenty of them. And there's things like this for, there's groups like this for everything. Just use the Facebook search bar and you'll find them, join those groups and then do this. This is where you win at a high level. You spend 30 days doing nothing but this. Five minutes a day for those 30 days, you log into that group, set a timer for five minutes because you're going to value your own time. And you do these four things. You ask a question in the group. You answer somebody else's question in the group. You give one piece of advice and you give one piece of guidance. And that's it. Um, sorry, you give one piece of support and you give one piece of guidance. So just like mm -hmm. supporting somebody for like congratulations on the house you just bought or a piece of guidance on, you know, make sure you get your homeowner's insurance, whatever that might be. So like you're doing that for five minutes every day in those two or three groups. So at most, if you're in three groups, that's 15 minutes total. So now you're in these three groups, 15 minutes a day for, you know, 30 straight days. So you're spending 15 minutes in the morning as part of your morning routine, asking those uh, four questions. Um, you're asking a question, answering a question, giving one piece of support, one piece of guidance. By the end of those 30 days, you will have uh, created yourself as the most supportive as the most active and as the most valuable member of that group mm. period end of story and so then on day 31 when sam asks a question about hey i'm actually you know curious about um you know mortgage trends in in 2020 what that looks like you can be like sam i actually just launched a podcast on that it's episode 12 here's the link go check it out and now not just sam but everybody in that group who's been seeing you be so supportive and engaged and friendly for 30 days now. It's going to be like, I trust this person. I don't know they had a podcast. But now that I know, that's super cool. I'm going to go check it out. If you go in and do that day one, which is what, by the way, everybody does, 99.9% .9 of people, they go in day one and just say, oh, by the way, my podcast is live. Check mm -hmm. it out. And it's like, delete, block. You're out of here. We don't care. We don't like you. We don't know you. We don't trust you. If you do it my way, you've built up all of that. You've earned the right to just mention your show in a relevant situation 31 plus days afterwards. And then you can really be growing an audience in a very powerful way. Yeah, that's super smart. Uh, share the story, man. I'd love to hear this. I mean, I know we've known each other for a long time, but now, now, now you got me curious. What, uh, what, what's it's a, the story? It's a cool story. What is so um, I was trying back in 2012 to wrap my head around, how am I going to monetize? Like, you know, who knew back then how to monetize a podcast? Like everybody's just like, Oh, you just like podcasts is like party what you do. And maybe you coach somebody that listens to your podcast, but there were, there was nobody really just directly doing a podcast as their sole thing. Um, you know, and trying to make money just from that thing. Like they were doing other things like books and courses and whatever. 
it was all good, but I was trying to be really inventive. So I had my virtual assistant, this is back in 2012, go to like mm -hmm. Amazon's, um, not just new release, but like about to be released books. Mm -hmm. So books that hadn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. And I had my assistant go through and message all of the authors in the business section who were about to have books released and say, hey, listen, um, you know, um, my boss, John Lee Dumas has a podcast called entrepreneurs on fire. His audience is about, you know, is all is full of entrepreneurs, small business owners. And you're having a book that's coming out in a little bit about business, about whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, if you would want to, um, sponsor an episode of entrepreneurs on fire, it's going to be like $300 and mm. I'll give you like a one minute right at the beginning of my show pitch for my listeners to go buy your book yeah and i got some really funny responses man like i remember i got this one response i can't remember the name of the book steve maybe you'll remember but it was from the guy that wrote the book like what color is your parachute i think mm -hmm. and this guy took like he wrote like two thousand word response to me i'll never forget <laughs> reading it about why he was so awesome and why he would never ever need any help with his books and how many books he sold and all this stuff and I was just reading it being like, this guy's awesome. He's mm -hmm. obviously very awesome. Mm -hmm. And, but then I get like a message from you and you're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so like you PayPal me 300 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, Kate, somebody just paid me money to sponsor my podcast. Oh, like, woo, so cool. like Chris Brogan did it too. Like it was yeah. another funny story. And so I had a, you know, I definitely had a success rate on it. And I promoted your book. And then the next episode, I promoted Chris's book. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I was actually asked to, uh, to give a keynote talk that January. So January of 2013, just like four months, three months after I launched the podcast mm -hmm. at New Media Expo in Las Vegas, which mm -hmm. you were also at. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing you in the hallway and being like, hey, you want to duck in during my talk because I specifically give you a shout out about how right. I've monetized my podcast so far. And like, that was back in 2012, 2013. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So I was, I, I officially have the, the title or at least share the title as one of the first sponsors anyway, to put some money on your, in your pocket there with the podcast. So that's totally, awesome. yeah, that's Big cool. Time. So I'm always going to be in, in John's, on John's you good side You can do here. that so, for me. I know. Just start a podcast. How about that? <laughs> I have one. Um, <laughs> So uh, actually, it's a good segue, man. So into into revenue, what 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 is twenty twenty projected revenue, and and generally speaking, how will that break down for you in terms of where that revenue comes from? Yeah, projected revenue is about two point five, two point seven million dollars gross, and we run about between a seventy and eighty percent um, profit margin on that, which is outstanding, absolutely it's through the roof. I mean, and that includes everything. We're talking down to the penny. And that's one thing. In our monthly income reports, we always show that percentage as well. Like we had one month, like four months ago, we were at 91%, which we've never done wow. since. But like we're typically between like 72 to 85% um, any month on keeping that percentage of the money that we actually make after expenses, et cetera. Mm. You know, not um, to get too much in the weeds, but I'm curious, sure. what would be your expenses if you're primarily an online business? You got four employees, right? got employees okay. we've got so much software services i mean you know zoom you got to pay monthly for zoom i mean we're paying um you know facebook ads i mean there's just a lot of stuff that comes in you know that, that comes out to like 30 dollars a month i mean those are our expenses every single month mm -hmm. but you know we're making 160 180 300 you know on every single month like in fact one of my 
prouder things is since October of 2013, we haven't had a month under a hundred thousand dollars. We haven't had a month over 600. So we haven't had this like, you know, you know, like seven figure month or anything, Mm -hmm. but we've been real consistent at like one, $200,000. We've had a few breakout months of like four and 500,000, but for the most part, kind of in that like 150 to 250 range. It's kind of been our sweet spot. And I personally made the decision for multiple reasons I won't get into now, but that like, I'm not trying to build you a fire into an eight figure year business. Like I know what it would take to get there. I'm not saying I could take us there, but I know what it would take to try to get there. And I don't even, I don't, I don't want that business mm-hmm. now that could change in the future, but I don't want that now. Like I love the lifestyle business we've created. I love the size of our team. I love my, my lifestyle freedom, my location freedom. And, um, so you know, the revenue, the revenue breakdown to get to the two and a half, I assume yeah. a good chunk of that. And obviously with the margins of it, well, if you've got affiliate type of revenue coming in where you say, Hey, go sign up here. And then you mm-hmm. cut off of that. You've got zero expenses, you know, tied to that. So in the, in the, let's just not always, because especially in these big affiliate promotions, like we're about to do with Tony Robbins, we're probably going to spend six figures in advertising mm. for that affiliate promotion. Mm. And okay. So, so then to that end, generally speaking in the two and a half, what, what would, do you anticipate the breakdown to be? So I see the breakdown is probably going to be about like 40% all things sponsorship. Like for instance, to be a guest on entrepreneurs on fire, it's a $3,500 appearance fee. Like every guest on Entrepreneurs on Fire is paying an appearance fee to be on the show. So, so that's one thing. So 100% of the guests now pay? You don't just bring people on anymore just because you want them on 100% or is that still a percentage? Just I'd say 85% wow. would be the accurate percent. Like yeah. we had Tony Robbins on because we're promoting his course sure. and have him pay, but he's an exception, not the rule. Wow. So across mm-hmm. the board, you know, 85-ish percent is paying that $3,500 per month appearance fee. Mm-hmm. You know, we have two sponsors on every show. Our average sponsorship, our average sponsor is paying uh, $2,850 per episode. Damn we have it. Two really? Episodes. I should have yeah. totally, I could, there was such an arbitrage play there. You could have locked me down oh my God. for like 10 years. <laughs> Man, amazing. What was I thinking? I'll buy the next 10 <laughs> years worth of ads at 300 bucks a spot. Oh my God, I missed such an opportunity. Jesus uh, Christ. So you sponsor? could be selling that stuff on the market. Right. Uh, yeah, so sponsorship's big. Affiliate revenue is another huge part of our pie. I'd say that's about 25 to 30% any given month. Podcasters Paradise is like another 20 to 25%. That's our premium podcasting course where we teach people how to create, grow, and monetize their own podcast. Um, and then the journals would make up the biggest, uh, uh, the, the, the next biggest piece, which would probably be about 10%, mm-hmm. um, where we sell the freedom, the mastery, the podcast journal. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, man, it, um, I mean, Look, again, congrats on everything that you've been able to create. And again, congrats on having the freedom uh, to be able to live where you want, do what you want, and so on. And, and even the freedom to be able to say, I don't want an eight-figure business, you know, to just keep things where we are, to keep things Today, turning and so on. that might change. Someday. Today, that might change. No, wait, we got, we got some time here. Um, so, <laughs> um, so let's just kind of humanize you a little bit here then as well. What, what still keeps you up at night? What, what, what scares you nowadays? I mean, scare is a pretty big word. And like I said, I'm probably going back to my perspective from my military days, like not a lot scares me. I, I might have to kind of pull a page out of Gary Vaynerchuk's book, which is, you know, the health and wellness of those that I love. Like that scares me because that can change on a moment's notice. And that is something that, you know, would really throw a massive wrench in my life for sure. 
you know, but besides that, there's, there's really just not that much that scares me. I mean, I feel like I've really set my business up, you know, is, is to be fairly recession proof. Of course, it'll take a big hit. But, you know, as far as like the, the, the nesting I've been able to build up as a result of moving down to Puerto Rico and being smart with my money. So I, a recession doesn't scare me. Um, but, you know, like the health and wellness of the family would be the big thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people have really great things to say about you. And like anyone who achieves a certain level of success, uh, others, you know, not quite as nice of things to say about you. What, um, in, w- in what way do you think you're, you're really m- the most misunderstood? Huh. It's an interesting question. I would say that maybe that's kind of my excited enthusiasm um, is kind of, you know, just like this facade for like nothing underneath. Whereas I really do feel like I've been able to build like a really solid marketing mind and business over the past seven years. And, you know, I think a lot of people kind of probably assumed that it was a little more of a flash in the pan um, that was going to happen with the business in the, per- in the first few years. Like I can remember people being like, you know, it's like, make sure you're saving your money because, you know, you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month now, it's not going to last. And I didn't disagree with them. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely saving my money. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've been able to kind of keep it going for these seven years and for, you know, who knows how many more months or years I'll be able to keep this up. And, you know, my hope is for a lot. And, you know, it's, I will kind of address what you said about, you know, like some of the quote unquote haters that are out there and just in, in life in general is I really do look at all those individuals that, you know, for myself and for anybody else who's attained a certain level of success is just the fact that hurt people hurt people. Like I really do believe that. And, and so I, I'm not just saying this, but like, I really just do feel empathy for individuals who lash out at others yeah. who are, who achieve certain level of success because they're just, they're hurting. And I get it because I've been jealous and frustrated and, you know, hurt before, you know, in, you know, in my twenties and thirties and, you know, things have happened, of course. Um, so I get it. And so I just have, I just have empathy for that now. And I know, you know, what I'm doing and who I'm serving and that's where I keep my focus. Yeah. And, uh, and I will throw a thank you your way uh, from the standpoint of you were one of the first to embrace what we're doing with Podcast Magazine. Yeah, I loved it. And, um, and you know, I know you said there might be some peaks here and things might be – I happen to think we're very much in the embryonic stages of the medium. That's certainly why we're investing in, in creating this magazine, this publication for the fans that covers podcasts and podcast culture and really goes beyond the microphone in terms of the lives of the podcasters and stories that fans love – what, what was your, I know you said you love it, but what, what do you in, in your heart believe is appealing or why did you say yes to supporting what we're doing with Podcast Magazine? What do you, what do you like about it? Well, I love the medium. I've always loved the podcast medium from the moment my neighbor in San Diego came and heard me complaining about you know, listening to sports talk radio and how I hate the San Diego Padres anyways. (laughs) And, you know, just like listening to that and her being like, why don't you just listen to podcasts? And me being like, what's a podcast? And she's like, click, click, click. Like, I'm like, what? Mm. She's like, she opened up a whole new world for me. And like, I've loved the medium since then. You know, every time I hear the word podcast, like I kind of perk up a little bit and I like, I'm always curious and interested. And, and the fact that, you know, it's just continuing to grow and evolve and, you know, I think that what you're doing is, is like another example of that. So like what I can do to support that, I'm really excited to do and happy to do. And, you know, of course, in addition to that, just the fact that, 
you know, you were willing to kind of support a podcaster way back early in his journey. As I told that story back in 2012, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm, I love the fact that I can, you know, in, in some, in some way support what you're doing now in the podcasting sphere for that as well. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, uh, and lastly, what, since you are so entrenched in the space, what, what are three podcasts that you listen to that I hopefully not the usual suspects, but if they're usual, these are not the usual suspects. What are they? So the newsworthy, I listen to it every single day. Eric and Mandy. Eric and Mandy's amazing. It's fast, fair, fun on the go. I, I, I obviously listen to it every single day. You know, it's like six to eight minutes of like everything that's happening in the world that's, you know, is, is worth knowing about. Um, in six to eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And I listen to this podcast called Snacks Daily, which mm. is kind of like the financial version of the newsworthy. It's like 10 minutes long and it just has three of the biggest financial um, kind of happenings that are going like, you know, like um, covered like WeWork failed IPO. Like mm-hmm. some, I find that all interesting. Yeah. And then I'll say the other one would be um, Business Wars. I love mm. that podcast. It's by Wondery mm-hmm. and it's about, you know, Nike versus Adidas, Nintendo versus Sony, um, Ford versus Chevrolet. And they tell the whole history behind that, uh, those companies. And they're just, uh, they're taking podcasting to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. We'll, uh, we'll definitely look those up, man. And, uh, we'll, we'll let you jump here just again, really, really appreciate your, your time and, uh, and your support and, uh, we're gonna get you on one of these covers, man. We got uh, we got Dave Ramsey and Kate, Katie Couric and uh, Adam Carolla oh. and all these. I mean, we got just folks are lining up to 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 say yes here, man. So we'll uh, we'll definitely make sure that yours happens soon. And uh, again, really appreciate the support and you're taking so much time to hang out with us here today. Can't wait, brother. It's gonna be great. Great talking to all three of you. Have a wonderful day. All you right. too, my friend. All righty. Awesome. That is it. We did it. Yay. Yay. Yeah, I mean, he really is an OG, you know, just just uh, an OG of podcasting and, um, you know, so young. But it's it's interesting. He, um, yeah, I, I actually remember that now that he mentions it. I, I remember very specifically my being at the same event that he was at and him saying, come in the room. I'm going to be talking about, mm-hmm. you know, one of the ways that he's monetizing. And, um, and there you go. I mean, it just it, it kind of begs the question of, like, you know, are you, can you plant seeds today that'll bear fruit years from now? You just don't know how. What was your ad for? Do you remember? It was, I believe it was for internet profits. It was for the book, internet profits. And, uh, I was just trying to get some eyeballs and eardrums on that. And, uh, there was a section, uh, in internet profits on podcasting. Actually, I had talked about Jason Van Orden, um, in that particular section. And so that was one of my first, uh, ways of becoming familiar with podcasting was, mm-hmm. What, with what Jason Van Norden was doing. And anyway, so that was that. was mm. that. Very cool. All right. Well, there we go. Awesome to hang with Johnny Lee Dumas. And we will talk to you guys really, really soon. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the show's fans love. 
Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com.